Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. If St. Patrick's Day was a Jewish holiday, instead of getting drunk, we'd all be feeling extra guilty. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. It is St. Patrick's Day of uh, 2021, and spring is right around the corner. Oh, thank God. I'm ready to warm up. Anyway, on this week's show in Pipe Parts, I'm going to answer a question by Jay Freedy about... uh, pipes in uh, cold or extreme weather and then my guest is uh, rich esserman as we begin a brand new ask the experts so seven questions for seven experts and uh, rich esserman the big pipe guy well he's number one on the list so we get him first and then uh, music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show so hope you're looking forward to it uh real quickly here are the seven questions so that you can have them all in one shot and they are if you could only sell her 100 tins would you prefer to, uh would you prefer to have 100 tins of one blend 50 tins each of two blends 25 tins each of four blends or 10 tins each of 10 blends Question number two is, what would those blends be? Question number three, what is the oldest tobacco you have smoked and how is your experience with it? Question number four, how has your preference in pipes changed over time? uh, Question five is, what is the pipe you own that has the most sentimental value and why? Question number six, how does situation affect your pipe and tobacco choice, like outdoor versus indoor, morning versus evening? on the go or in a chair and question number seven what famous pipe smoker from the past would you like to share a bowl with and it has to be someone they never met plus there's a bonus question so you'll have to listen to the end for those so those are the seven questions uh thank you very much to mike zika for helping me select those questions and for uh, suggesting a few of them so i hope you enjoy it anyway you get rich esserman first all right and uh, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go this is phil morgan general manager of missouri meersham corncob pipes in washington missouri our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show all right for pipe parts and i i feel like i've touched on this before but i'm gonna i'm gonna reiterate it again especially as we're coming into spring and weather's changing so here's what uh jay freedy writes uh we are moving to a new house uh just a few miles from our current place one of the benefits is that i'll have my own standalone office uh 25 yards from the house 
It's an insulated metal building but has radiant heating and an AC wall unit. I know storing tobacco wouldn't work due to heat and cold fluctuations, but how about my pipes? Uh, I know you're not supposed to keep pipes in cars, but I do, cheaper ones, and have never had any issues. Uh, there will be heat and cold variations, but not as extreme as a car. It will never get below freezing or over 85 degrees. What do you think? And I know he lives in Oklahoma, so a similar climate to what we have here in North Carolina, where, you know, all summer long, it's just, well, hot and humid. And then all winter long, we do get some below freezing nights and we get stretches of below freezing nights. Um, but let's talk about it first of all with with the storing of tobacco, the only thing that you really have to worry about in heat fluctuations like that is the tins themselves because heat yeah, heat expands, cold contracts. It can cause the tins to uh, weaken over time. If you're using mason jars, as long as you don't get really cold below freezing and really hot, you know, you're fine. But, you, but he's right. The ideal is a constant, stable temperature for aging of tobaccos anywhere. And if it's in a tin, that's even better. Now, for our pipes. Let me, uh, let me just say, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm the leading expert on my own opinion. And I have my own experiences. And let me tell you what happens to your pipe before it gets to you. Most of us are buying Savinelli's, Peterson's, Stanwell's, Nording's, pipes that come from factories in Europe, and then they're shipped to the United States. Most of those pipes go air cargo in a uh, you know in a pressurized airplane cargo or some of them actually go by boat during that time they are somewhat temperature and climate controlled but in that airplane yeah it might be pressurized to eight ten thousand feet of air pressure it's going to be cold in those cargo containers so your pipe's going to go through some cold changes here and there uh when it reaches the United States, it gets shipped usually by uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of those brown trucks or maybe one of those other companies that ship stuff. And your pipe has been on a truck for a couple of days. If you mail order that, odds are it's gone through some temperature variations again. So temperature variations are not really bad for pipes the shock of going from cold to hot real quick so if you take a pipe that's outside and has been in freezing temperature and you pack it and load it right away and then you start giving it heat well you can run some expansion and that might be a danger so if you've got a very very cold pipe I would say let it warm up and stabilize over an hour or two of ambient warm temperature before you packed it and loaded and, uh, and lit it up. Uh, in a real hot situation, you know, I, I can't imagine a pipe having any problem. All right. Yeah, you know, you can get it if you left it sitting outside in a car and the car got up to 140, 150 degrees, you can get some expansion. So you, you don't really want to do that. But none of us are ever really going to do that too much. Uh, it might be by accident. The areas that you have to worry about 
is the tendon mortis of the and the shank. That's where you've really got to worry about it. Uh, you might have to worry about your bowl if you've got too much cake in it. But again, uh, you know, extreme temperatures of 120 plus. Yeah, I wouldn't leave my pipes in that. Uh, mild temperatures, not a problem. I leave my pipes in my car sometimes here in North Carolina. Yeah, you know, parked out in the sun. I've never had an issue with it. Uh, if you are going to have an issue with a part of a pipe, it could also be the shank adornments, like a piece of, uh, you know, like a little, like a little decorative trim, or even maybe a uh, a military mount, because that metal is mounted by epoxy or a glue of some sort, and in extreme temperatures of cold and or hot, that can break that bond. Uh, you could also run into, uh, you know, like some of the some of the real decorative pipes that have like uh, little trim rings or spalted, uh, you know, little pieces of wood in the in the inlay. Well, that wood being less uh, durable than briar, that can handle that might expand or contract, and it would cause a crack in it. None of these, yeah, none of that's going to affect the way the pipe smokes. All right, so there's my thoughts on it. You know, don't worry about babying your pipes too much because they've already pretty much been abused a lot on the way to you and they've made it to you in one piece. Just be afraid of those really, you know, those real quick temperature extremes. So there you go. Comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, seven questions for seven experts, part two, starting off with Rich Esserman. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and kicking off Ask the Experts, the seven questions for seven experts. Ask the Experts, volume two. We have the one and only Doctor of Pipes, in fact, Governor of the Doctor of Pipes. So that means that you kind of control us somewhat, if that's possible. But um, mm -hmm. uh, the big pipe guy himself, Rich Esserman. Rich, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Brian, as always. Enjoy uh, all these different conversations. And, uh, and part, of our, uh, part of our Saturday Zoom group. So if you, ever wanna, if you ever run into Rich, just feel free to ask him exactly how much he paid for a pipe back in 1974 and who he sold it to or traded it to and how he got it back because he knows everything about every pipe that's ever come through his hands. Right, Rich? Uh, pretty much, uh, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Not, not really. <laughs> Can't remember what your wife told you yesterday, but you remember all the pipes. Oh, yeah. Believe me. 
that's a, that's a very common thing I found with pipe smokers. Yeah. All right. So these questions are uh, part uh, part contributed to by our friend Mike Zika, and uh, some are from a few other folks and me. Uh, here is cre- question number one for you: If you could only sell her one hundred tins, would you prefer to have a one hundred tins of one blend? B, 50 tins each of two blends. C, 25 tins each of four blends. And D, 10 tins each of 10 blends. Well, uh, that's a question that's pretty easy for me to answer, actually, because D is the definite uh, go-to answer. 10 tins of 10 blends. And uh, the reason for that is is that I like variety. I, I just like change up all the time. I can smoke something maybe for a week, and then I got to move on to something else. That's the way it's always been my, uh, my entire smoking life, is that all of a sudden I'll get a great blend. It'll be terrific for three or four days, and then I want to move on to something else. And that's the same way with the... With the with the pipes that I have, I don't smoke one pipe over and over again or once every time. I, I have a, a large variety that I enjoy, you know, to me, that's the way to go. And, and those 10, the next question will help answer this somewhat, but you will also, you're not just dedicated to Latakia, Burley or Virginia's. You, you kind of bounce around a little bit. That's true. I mean, first of all, I will say that I do something a little different now is that I blend my old blends from other blends. Yeah, you're special. What I've been doing for for quite a while. People, people say you're nuts, mm-hmm. but I, but I, uh, but I enjoy that uh, quite a bit. Now the thing is, over time, you know, as like you purchased stuff years ago, and now you have it sold. Um, I'm much less interested in uh, you know what's the next what's the next great blend coming out. You know, I, I just stopped doing that a while ago. Even though I'll read all the reviews and I like to hear what people have to say, um, I, I really like aging my tobaccos. And I've actually done that for since 35 years ago, maybe longer, because I remember going out and meeting with my old friend Chuck Rio, who uh, was a, uh, you know, he had a lot of tobaccos and stuff, and we were talking, I was a young guy, and, and he said, you know, you should you should age your Latakias three to five years. And I said, really, why? He said, well, because, you know, it's going to taste a lot better. And I started to do that. And so I've been really sort of aging my blends for years and years and years. And as time has progressed, I have enough tins like everybody else. Where buying the next new one is not that critical for me. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. So, question number two is: What would those ten blends be that you would that you would have? You don't have to go come up with all ten of them, but what would some of those be? Well, you see, again, this is something where probably my favorite ten tins are going to be irrelevant to most of the people smoking pipes because you can't get them anymore. Yeah. But but. You know, for I would I would have about three Virginias, and one of them would be um, a thing called it's a Dunhill Rough Cut, 
which was an old Virginia, just tremendous taste. I'm not really a big Virginia, straight Virginia smoker, but you can smoke this straight with a tremendous amount of taste. And then there was another one, which I bought some time ago. I bought as much as I could. Sobrani Number 3 Virginia, which is just, it smells like fine wine or something. When you open it up, it's just (laughs) tremendous smoking. And then I would have uh, one of Mike uh, McNeil's friends, the 40th year anniversary. So I'd have those three basic Virginias, and they would satisfy me for every occasion that would want to smoke a Virginia. Now, on the upper end, you know, the upper, the different side is I love Latakia, so I got to have Latakia in all my blends. But, you know, sometimes you don't want a tremendous amount of Latakia, sometimes you do. So I would start if I to do that. There's an old blend called Dunhill's Mr. Alfred's Own, um, which actually became available again when Murray started to make it, but I like it in the gold tin. I like Dunhill's Aperitif, which was available. Um, I like Sobrani White, which, you know, the old Sobrani White, which is an incredible smoke. That's what really got me into pipe smoking and collecting, was smoking that particular blend. Um, I like other things, more modern things like uh, fourth generation 1882, which I find to be a very lovely lovely tobacco. I really like that. Um, and there are other Dunhill blends that I that I would uh, smoke. My favorite, though, would be a thing which you can't get it unless Steve Fallon decides to charge you for your firstborn. Um, <laughs> Sullivan's OX, which to me is one of the finest, if not the greatest blend that I've ever smoked. Those are the things that I like. Although, you know, I do have the modern Peterson Dunhills that I enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 965 and Nightcap and so on and so forth. Yep. All right, let's go on to the next one because we're talking about old tobaccos and uh, and you're old. So uh, what, what is the oldest tobacco you have smoked and how is your experience with it? Um, you know, I, I have smoked a number of very old tobaccos, and uh, some of them are harder to date. Um, but I would say the oldest tobacco that I know that I've smoked that was in good condition, because I've had some cutter top tins that, you know, I've mixed them in with other blends where they've been dry. Yeah. It was many years ago, um, probably around 2003, in Chicagoland, um, a, a, a Swedish a fellow, pair of Bill Hall, who has a site, and um, he came, he was in Chicago, and then he rounded up about six or seven of us, and he said, let's go over to where the, where used to be able to dining room, dining area was, and I'm opening up this tin of Dunhill Shell Tobacco, cutter top tin of Dunhill Shell Tobacco, which is a Virginia, and it was in perfect condition, and I'm not a big Virginia guy, as I said, but I smoked that it was like being in heaven. It was unbelievable how great it tasted. So, you know, the great tobaccos just keep getting better with age. You know, if you have uh, aromatics or some burleys or whatever, you know, they're going to age a little bit. They may get a little better. But that was a great experience. And that's, and that's 
what a kind of experience I try to get with, with the tobaccos that I use when I smoke regularly. And how old do you think that tobacco was when you smoked it, if you had to guess? Well, the cutter tins, I think, stopped being produced sometime in the in the 60s, I believe, or early 70s. So that tin, I would say, based upon it, was probably somewhere from the 50s. Okay. So it was, it was only 50 years old, maybe, at that point? Yeah, it was only 50 years old, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what a, a wonderful, I'll never forget the experience. I mean, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have more uh, expert questions with Rich Esserman. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show for Ask the Experts, or Seven Questions for Seven Experts, Part 2. Rich, are you ready for your next question? Yes, I am. And I know the answer to this, but how has your preference in pipes changed over time? For example, bent versus straight, large versus small, smooth versus rusticated, uh, maybe a brand. So, go. Well, that's really, uh, that's pretty complex question. So, you know, things have changed, and and they've changed for a variety of reasons. Uh, You know, when I first smoked the pipe, it was very, very important for me to be able to hold the pipe in my mouth for a period of time. Uh, I just had to do it. It just didn't seem right that you would hold a pipe in your hand or anything like that. And so my preference always was for bents. Mm-hmm. Every pipe I ever bought was a bent. And, you know, they could be bent billiards. They could be, you know, uh, Rhodesians. They could be whatever. But they were always bent. And that's all I smoked um, for, for a long time. Um, and then I'll, then I'll talk a little bit about the other things. But so what happened was, in 1985, um, I was beginning to collect Ashtons, and I really loved them. I loved them. I liked, uh, I knew the importer, Dave Field, very well. I got to be friendly with the maker, Bill Taylor, and I just loved how they looked. I loved how they tasted. I loved the blast of them and everything like that. Well, I call up a guy who's, uh, who had owned the shop, um, his name was John Hayes, John Hayes Tobacconist in, in uh, Virginia. And I heard that he had one of these presentation Ashtons. I said, what's that? Well, they're, they're giant Ashtons in a fitted case and everything. I said, sounds interesting. I saw one in another store, and it was great. And I had him send it up to me, and it was a panel, which I still have to this day. And the panel was too large to hold in your mouth. 
He couldn't <laughs> do it. It was like three inches tall, straight panel. And I said, I must own this pipe. I must own this pipe. And so I did. I bought it. And I had to handhold it. And, you know, from that point on, I began handholding all my pipes. And so from around 1985 till today, when I smoke my pipe, I handhold my pipes. Rarely do I keep it in my mouth. So that that's that's part of the thing that have changed. So I was enabled then, when I began to do that, I've been able to, you know, then I said, well, let me try some billiards, which I really had trouble smoking initially because they were completely different than a Benbury. Yeah. But I learned how to smoke a straight pipe. So, so that was that was that was a critical change right then and there. Um, then the next thing is 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 a large, small versus whatever. The thing is, you know, when I lived in upstate New York, um, completely different. I'm in New Jersey now for 37 and a half years. You know, I could go home for lunch and smoke my pipe. So I, what I would do is I would have a lunch break. It was four minutes from the office. I drive home, and I had a whole bunch of small Rhodesians. I love Rhodesians. I love bent bulldogs. Group four size, just tremendous. I love the shape. Anyway, the bottom line is I would go home for lunch, and I would smoke the uh, th- those pipes for lunch. So I had a whole collection of small pipes, and I also like larger pipes. But in the 80s, other than these immense Ashtons, you know, before that, you couldn't find the large. You couldn't find a pipe taller. Two and a half inches was like a huge pipe. Yeah. Three inches was like gigantic. <laughs> so well, over time, what happened is more and more larger pipes came out. I couldn't smoke now. I'm living in New Jersey. The commute, you can't. There's no lunch break where you can go and smoke your pipe. So I began to smoke only in the evenings. And I moved to even larger pipes. And then with the, when the Ashens came out, he made some really gigantic pipes, Bill Taylor. And I started really get into the gigantic pipes, and which is what I like now. You know, bowls that are, most people, would, some of my pipes would be unbelievable for people to smoke, but I like it. So I smoke one, one, uh, you know, one bowl a day, but that bowl might be for a long time. It might be in a pipe that's three and a half inches high, four inches high. Your your bowls take longer to pack than mine do to smoke. <laughs> that's probably pretty true, Brian. It's, it's, uh, they, they, I do, and, that, and that, that's another thing which I'm not going to get into now, but packing to me is very critical. Now, the other thing is, you know, when you're talking about a, a large pipe, so in the old days, I had many, many great grain smooth pipes. I, I had I had a lot of smooth pipes. I had a lot of, um, you know, Dunhill made the ODAs, which I collected for a long time, and the Collector Series, which are Roots. And I had all kinds of other straight grains. I collected GBD Uniques, which are straight, and they had great grains. But when you get into the super giant pipes, the amount of pipes that be, that come out as smooth are very limited. Mm-hmm. So I began to really like, you know, rusticated finish, because that's what Costello made a lot of it. And I love, when I started really getting into Dunhill Magnums, I love the Sandblast, which is my favorite finish. 
to me, it's never boring. When you get a great sandblast, it just gets better over time. So, but that, but your transition to uh, non-smooth was also kind of forced by your desire to want to be to want to have bigger pipes. That's correct. You know, that's a good point because um, at a certain at a certain point in time, you have to just say, uh, you know, you can't worry about uh, the grain because you know you get a giant pipe. I remember I have a, I had an experience here just recently, oddly enough, is where I did have a giant pipe. I bought a, a giant pipe of berry, which uh, was a was a, a nice manufacturer, and I, its shape was just phenomenal, and it was three and a half inches high. And I had to buy it, and I got it home, and I smoked it a couple times, and I noticed, which I didn't at the store, it filled, which bothered me. And, but the graining on the one side was a perfect straight grain, and the other side was very average. But I sent it to Bill Taylor to be refinished, and he pebble-shelled it, and I liked that finish. You know, so, <laughs> so you begin to adapt and adjust. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. What is the pipe you own that has the most sentimental value and why? Um, well... The most sentimental value pipe, oddly enough, is a very expensive one. And uh, a little story about that. So way back in December 3rd and 4th of 1982, um, there was a pipe show in St. Louis. And it was by invitation only, and it just so happened that the guy who put it on and I had been doing some trading. And um, so he invited me to the show, which I went. And we were, people were talking about it. The guys, were, well, what are we going to do for a whole day? You know, at a pipe show, looking at pipes. And of course, <laughs> it went by so quickly, we couldn't believe it. But the night before the show, there was a fellow who I became very good friends with, Dr. Phil Bennett, who was a great pipe collector out in California. Um, and he, uh, Aptos, California, and he, he had three Dunhill magnets. And he said to me, because he heard that I was interested in the big pipes and the Dunhills, he asked me and my friend Ed Lehman, would we like to see them? Uh, it was a Friday night before the show. Would we like to privately see them? And, of course, we jumped at the, the notion of seeing them. <laughs> and, and, and we did. And there was one bent there that just blew me away. A 1939 Canadian patent Dunhill, like a bent. It's not quite a ball. But it was the greatest pipe I'd ever seen in my life. And I said to Phil one day, I said to Phil jokingly, I said, one day, Phil, I'm going to own that pipe. <laughs> and I, and I, and uh, so later on, about 1990, he decided, Phil, he was getting out of pipe collecting. And I found out about it. And this is where, as I mentioned to you in a different conversation, these fly right tickets. Yeah. Uh, which were free tickets, and I flew out to meet him in California. I called him on a Monday. I said, Phil, what are you doing on Friday? He said, nothing. He was retired. I said, I'll see you Friday. I flew out, and um, I got the pipe. It was very expensive, but I would pay it again, no, no question about it. But that pipe has the most. If you said to me, what's my favorite pipe? From a sentimental value, that is by far my favorite pipe. It's the one that really got me rolling into, you know, the Dunhills. 
And the next question is, how does situation affect your pipe and tobacco choice? And this is going to be unfair to you because we all know you smoke one pipe at night sitting in your reclining chair and that's it. But uh, situation regarding like outdoor versus indoor or morning versus evening or, you know, I can't imagine you well, actually smoking a pipe on the go. So, <laughs> Well, actually, you know, years ago I did. I mean, it, it, things have evolved to where they are now. But early on, you know, I used to like to go outdoors. I smoked outdoors for the most part. And, um, and really, there was no difference between outdoor and indoor. I used to go into the backyard and uh, smoke my pipe. And, um, but but it didn't, it did, that didn't impact it. What, what did impact it was, like I say, the morning versus evening. Because mm-hmm. when I would go home during the lunchtime, that definitely impacted the, the, my pipe of choice. Because, again, I was smoking all these uh, little Rhodesians. And I remember I had a I had one that was my favorite pipe. I wonder where it is now. It was a Peterson Supreme mm. with a uh, with a, almost a perfect straight grain and a gold band. And I got it when I was in college. And uh, this uh, fellow who had this uh, chain of pipe stores got in 125 Supremes. Wow! On consignment, the whole country used to think on consignment. And, and uh, I, Jerry, I forgot his last name. He had a store called the Briar Root. It was in upstate New York, a bunch of them. And, he, and I became very good friends with him because you hang out with him in the store for like three, four hours in between classes. And so what happened is he says, come on over, Rich. And I said, all right, I came over. And I went through all the boxes before they had the trunk show. He was very, very advanced at that time. And I came up with this pipe, and I showed it to him, and he was really upset with me when I showed it to him. He said, where'd you get that pipe? I said, what do you mean, where'd I get the pipe? Uh, In the back. Where do you think I got it? And he missed it. He picked one for himself, and he missed that pipe. He was upset. But he (laughs) let me buy it. And uh, so, but that's that's the thing. So during lunchtime, I smoked all these smaller pipes. Which I really, which I really liked. And at night, in the evening, I smoked bigger pipes. So I used to smoke two bowls at night because they were not like my gigantic ones. They were ODA size and whatever. Yeah. So that that made a big difference. <laughs> Those ODAs are just big. Yours are big, big pipes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, indoor or outdoor? Would you would you prefer a rusticated versus a smooth if you're outside? Yeah, I, I prefer rusticated because hopefully, God forbid, you should drop it or knock it or whatever. But also, you know, just just being out there, I, I just like the feel of a of a rusticated pipe when you're outdoors. You know, you'd sit in the backyard, or I used to take walks where I used to live uh, in upstate New York, and I would have a rusticated pipe with me. I always yeah. like the feel of the in your hand or in your mouth at that time. I just like I just liked it. Are you ready for the seventh question? Yes. What famous pipe smoker from the past would you like to share a bowl with? And it has to be someone you never met. Um, actually, the guy that I would like to smoke a bowl with, because I'd like to see him smoking this particular pipe, is Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> 
Edward D. Robinson had a, a pipe collection. I remember reading about it in uh, the Pipe Lovers magazine, and, and there were other articles. And, he, and he's always holding this pipe, which is a giant, what we call a tomahawk shape. It's a giant Dunhill um, ODC. And OD at that time meant own design, and yeah. C was the grade. And it was very, very large. And the reason why I know all this is because I happen to see that actual pipe in person. Oh. And um, it was uh, was not in good shape, though. Someone had just, just you know, wrecked it for, from a collective, my collecting standpoint. But it was very interesting. But I would love to be able to sit in the room with him. I know he smoked a lot of cigars and he smoked a lot of pipes. And to be able to sit with him for an hour or two, whatever it is, and have him smoke that big tomahawk. Yeah. Well, I'm smoking one of my old Dunhill Magnums and just having a discussion about what, who knows. But just sit there <laughs> smoking with him. And uh, he's probably smoking his tobacco that he got from Kramer's, Edward G. Robinson tobacco. Yeah. And uh, you just relax and enjoy it. But I'd love to see him smoking that pipe. That would be a, a, a really something else. And then the final bonus question, which is uh, not tobacco or not pipe or tobacco related all, at all, is uh, what other hobbies do you have? Well, I used to have a bunch of hobbies. Now I'm sort of limited here, but I, I like um, actually, uh, I use the term lifting weights. Mm -hmm. So I've been lifting weights, although I haven't been to a gym now. I have stuff at home here because of the the uh, situation we're in, the COVID situation, although you could probably still go to a gym. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've, I've uh, done that for years, and it was more than a hobby. I started out when I was like 14 years old, and I'm going to be 68 in another three weeks, two weeks. And um, so I've been lifting, and I competed uh, for many years at a very high level was a top 10 lifter. And then after that, I retired from competing, and I've, I've, I've lifted weights uh, basically my whole adult life. It's something that I really enjoy doing, you know. It's something you can do for an hour, so you, when you get done, you feel great, and then it's, 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 all, it's good. Um, the other, another hobby that I really love is I, I like, and it is a hobby because I don't get paid for it, I love writing. Yeah. And so I've been writing. I was used to write for actually powerlifting magazines, and then I began writing for the Pipe Smokers Ephemeris. And, um, and then I began writing for the Pipe Collector. And I, I love writing about pipes and tobaccos, and not about anything particular. That's the key. That's why I continue to write. You know, I don't say, well, I'm a Costello collector, and therefore this is Costello, and then what do you write next week? What do you write next month? Costello again? I mean, you can't keep, there's only so much. But I just enjoy the hobby. Like, and, and uh, you know, because you mentioned the Zoom group, the uh, which is, who knows, I hope it continues on, but I think once everything clears up, they may slowly fade away. I hope not, but they might. But I enjoy just listening to what people are doing, what they're smoking, different different topics 
and and I just I just enjoy the hobby. The the I'm sorry about the pipe hobby, but I enjoy listening to what people do, and then I like putting it down in words and writing about it. Yeah, I mean your uh, your your upcoming pipe missive, which you can get you can read in the NASPC's pipe collector. Um, it, you've gotten so desperate, and it's gotten so low yeah. that there's even a part that I contributed to. So. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta, you gotta scratch the bottom of the barrel sometimes. To, I think you broke through the bottom of the barrel and into the floor <laughs> below it, but go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I have a few other people, different, different experiences, and um, so there's always some kind of theme that develops, which I, I write completely differently for the pipe collector than I did for the pipe smokers of Femmers, because there I used to, sm I used to write. The old the Tom Dunn, who was a great guy, he used to like me to handwrite my stuff, believe it or not. <laughs> and so, you know, one time I sent it in, you know, Word document. This is years ago. And he said, oh, you're doing that now, too? Mm -hmm. And so I said, no, I can handwrite it. And he liked it. He liked to transcribe it for some reason. I don't know why. But <laughs> but those two things in reading. So, so weightlifting, you know, writing and reading are the things that I, I really enjoy. The most. I like listening to, I used to collect music, but not so much anymore. And uh, real quick before we go, and going back to, uh, so you were in, in powerlifting and this was just, you know, get as big as you could and move as much weight as possible. So, um, like, how much were you bench pressing? Well, people ask me that. I was never, that was my, that was my weakest lift. My real goal believe it or not, was to become, I wanted to become national champion and then world champion. And um, I reached the status, I think it was number five or six in my weight class, which is 242. And I wish they, they only had, a, at the time, they only had a super heavyweight after that, so you have to go up to like 330 pounds. I wasn't going to do that. Oh, boy. But I, 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 and we didn't have any of the conventions they have now. Which are which are basically the super suits and all these wraps, which can put hundreds of pounds. I mean, I lifted in a wrestling suit, like a, an elastic wrestling suit, with ace bandages on my knees to protect them. And I did a squat of six sixty, <laughs> um, which was at the time was ranked. That was ranked, I think, number again six or seventh. I bench press, which is because I had hurt my left shoulder, so I always had a bad. I did 385 competition-wise, and um, if I had if I had been able to do 450 or so, I would have been number two in the country. And then I deadlifted. My deadlift was uh, did 705 pounds. <clears throat> I think you, I think your deadlift was about the about the weight of my car. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could lift up if it was a VW. I could lift it up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know. <laughs> So I, I really loved it. And I, and I used to, again, enjoy talking to different folks who were world champions. I interviewed many world champions, many national champions via the phone, and then I'd write about them. Because I always, liked, I, it's, I always wanted to deal with the guys who were the best. And I figured those guys also had to know something that I didn't know if I wasn't world champion, and they were. And that's actually carried over into my pipe collecting. I've always loved, yeah. you know, the greatest pipes. Not that I collected all of them, 
But I, I enjoy looking at great pipes. And that's just the way it's always been. And you, and you can't learn stuff by not asking questions. No, I think it's critical. I mean, I look at I don't agree with what everybody says about different things, and and uh, but I always I always want to find out the reason why, and mm -hmm. that's one of the, that's one of the bad things about you know you. I love to be able to go back in a time machine and talk to the guy that made the Dunhill Magnums or whatever, and say you know how'd you develop this design? Where did it come from? What were you thinking about when you look at a pipe? You know, just detailed questions which you know, are, are impossible right now to can't, you, you that stuff was long gone, but I enjoy talking to pipe makers and, and listening to what they have to say and, and, and what, what, what are their thought processes and how do they develop their style and so on and so forth. You know, to me that that's, that's vital because you do learn a lot of things. But the one thing I stopped doing, Brian, is I stopped trying to convince people to uh, like smoke a high grade pipe or, you know, do whatever. You know, people have to be interested themselves. I can I can write about it or I can talk about it, and then if your interest is peaked, then you can follow up. You know. Yeah. But I don't get into the discussion about. I'll just tell you one quick thing. There was a, there was a, you know, I'm on. I like Facebook and Instagram to some degree, but there was a thing. Guy said. What kind of pipe, the, how much money have you spent on a pipe and why? What's the most? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there was like 50 different comments and all that. And so finally I decided to chime in. And I I said, I smoke a $15 corn cob, but I drive an $18 million Bugatti. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's and after that, no one wrote anything. I don't know if that had a bad influence. But, you know, there's just a... It just to me the ridiculousness of what you do and what I do, you know, compare it's not a competition. Mm. Yeah, you know, and you have to we, you, you have to smoke what you're comfortable. Yeah, you, know, you have to own and smoke what you're comfortable owning and smoking. Right, and in other words, in some guys they say, "Well, I can't afford or whatever it is." I say, "Well, you know, you're going to buy that fifty dollar pipe." I say, "Yes, put it in your pocket, the fifty bucks." Okay, and about a month later or two months later. Oh, you're going to spend 50, 60 bucks on a pipe? Put it in your pocket. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you have three, four hundred hours in your pocket. Now you can look at a higher grade pipe if you want it. But you don't have to do that. If you enjoy smoking what you're smoking, just continue. But most people that I know that get into high grades are because they discovered they really liked how that pipe looked and they smoked it. And they said, wow, that really smokes great. And that's how they get into it. Not that, well, I wonder, is my pipe smoking? But, you know, to me, over time, you get a little wiser. And, uh, you know, you, you people have to figure it out for themselves, I think. Rich Esserman, uh, doctor of pipes, uh, the one and only big pipe guy. Thank you very much for coming on, and thanks for doing this again. Yeah, this is my pleasure, Brian. Hey, really, it's a... Uh, uh, a lot of enjoyment, a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me. And we'll be back in just a minute. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. 
When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection, or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345, and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed that. Six more to come, huh? What do you think? What do you think? I'm wondering how different the answers are going to be amongst each of the uh, experts. So there you go. All right, for music, uh, Cole Porter, pipe smoker, prolific musician, and uh, Harry Connick Jr., who I might have a... uh, romance going on with although he doesn't know it uh and a couple of years ago harry did a whole album uh, of uh, cole porter love songs uh the album is called true love a celebration of cole porter and this one is i love paris why'd i pick it because springtime is coming so here's harry connick jr doing cole porter Paris in the springtime I love Paris in the fall I love Paris in the winter when it drizzles I love Paris in the summer when it sizzles I love Paris every moment Every moment of the year I love Paris, why, why do I love Paris? Because my love is near. Thank you. 
Junior doing Cole Porter, huh? What'd you think? You've got some mail. And a lot of stuff to get through in the mailbag, but remember, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or you can uh, post a comment on Pipes Magazine radio, on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. And going back to last week's show, just like Dino does every week, Dino says, Mike is a good friend and a fellow club member with whom I've discussed this stuff many times. But damn, you guys had me quite riveted to this whole conversation. I can't imagine that those who are new to these experiments and examinations weren't greatly informed and entertained by Mike's and your insight. Great job, gents. Uh, I really, really like Dan's music. This piece was amazing and an eloquent commentary on Benton's painting, Bootleggers. The show truly lived up to its claim of always entertaining. Thanks, Dino. Uh, Dino, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, I listen back to each show afterwards, and I, I really find Mike to be just great to listen to. Uh, uh, Mount Vernon says, a great episode, uh, but for some reason the form wouldn't download into Word, and uh, Kevin ended up getting that fixed. And, again, if you want Mike's form, you can email me directly, just brian at pipesmagazine.com, and I'll forward it on to you, or you can go onto the radio show page. Uh, Jim PM says this form is a nice little tool for doing comparative analysis analysis between different yet similar blends. Additionally, I can see the usefulness of this tool when assessing various ages of one specific blend. Uh, in the effort to define proper aging, dis- in the, uh, let me try that again. Uh, in the effort to define proper aging decisions. I like that there is a standardization of the review assessment criteria. Currently, I use the HANA version, which is less definitive on the assorted judgment criteria, so there is some potential for noise or inconsistency if the reviewer's mind is not in the same place blend-to-blend, review-to-review. This form eliminates that potential for variation by channeling uh, the path of thoughts of blend attributes. The document nicely allows for recording subjective notes. No question. One enhancement would be a scoring matrix grouped by the the categorical review criterion subsections. Although numeric rankings do contain some level of subjectivity, an assigned numeric value would be another data point for consideration for comparative decision-making. 
Nonetheless, this is definitely an improvement to what is currently out there. Interesting and informative show. Wow, there's a lot of thought put into that. So, uh, and again, you know, the form is uh, also flexible enough that you can put in your own numeric values. Uh, Casey Ghost says, "Enjoyable show. I even like the Ask the Pipe Maker segment." I must confess that this show was a little too techie for me, despite my love of techie things and my degree in mathematics. I took statistics in grad school and had the lesson hammered home about Twain's comments on the subject. <laughs> there's lies, there's damned lies, and there's statistics. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, I found listening to Zika fairly informative and generally a pleasant fellow. Once again, a pipe smoker represented the fact that any position that is presented in a positive light devoid of ranting can be tolerated by uh, by those of us who are less than tolerant of his position. <laughs> there you go. So uh, love the comments. Uh, we're going to ramble on a little bit longer here because you guys said you don't mind the longer shows and I've got a little bit of a mailbag to catch up on. And this one came in from Holland, and I find this one to be probably, um, well, fascinating and one of my favorites ever. And I will apologize in advance to the gentleman that wrote it, but it's from uh, McTire, M-A-C-T-I-R-E, and it says, Hi from Holland. Uh, Hi, Brian. Your show is so bad it will probably get me to start smoking. <laughs> uh, perhaps this is kind of an unusual email as it's coming from a non-smoker. I'm 36 and have never smoked anything in my life. Everybody in my family smokes and I've seen the attitude towards smoking change over the years up to a point where you're frowned upon when people hear you smoke. With that change, a lot of tradition is fading away. The last time I saw a smoking table was at my grandparents. My granddad smoked a pipe on occasion, and my dad had a fling with a tattoo pipe, which is a trendy pipe made by the Dutch pipe, make, pipe maker Goobles in the 90s, I believe. It had a special cube tobacco, which smelled like dessert. Anyway, life goes on, and I was re-watching The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogies about half a year ago. There is quite a bit of pipe smoking in the movie, and the moment I saw it, something clicked, and I could see why people smoke a pipe. It's an act of relaxation. It piqued my interest, and I've spent quite some time reading up on pipe and tobacco history. Turns out the Netherlands even produced tobacco in the 1600s. So I'm growing tobacco seedlings now to plant in my garden. I still can't pick up a pipe. After not smoking all my life, it's probably for the better not to start now, although I've had my fair share of secondhand smoke, which is probably the best way of smoking as it's free. <laughs> Until I muster the courage to make the mistake of starting to smoke, your podcast is a very welcome entertainment. I'm slowly working my way back to the beginning. It's educational and you have great guests. Kind regards from the Netherlands. So that's cool. I mean, we've got a non-smoker who is just interested in the art and history of it, growing his own tobacco, and at the same time, not a smoker. So thank you for the wonderful email, and I hope you keep enjoying the show. Uh, Jason writes, firstly, the shows have been really enjoyable lately. I always enjoy the show, but you, but they have been very good lately. So thank you. Uh, secondly, I'm interested in Mike's form. So I sent that off to him. Uh, lastly, I hope you and yours are doing well. And the end of our current 
uh, restrictions will be over soon. Take care, Jason. Uh, Jason got the form, and Jason, thank you for the kind thoughts. Uh, yeah, I hope this is all over soon, too. Uh, Paul writes, can't wait to see what Phil Morgan and Missouri Meerschaum will do with this fine line of classic corn cobs, and he's referring to uh, Missouri Meerschaum buying Old Dominion Pipe Company, so they'll be making the clays and the cobs for them, and uh, hopefully we'll get Phil on here in a few weeks to talk about that. So there you go. Comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and in just a moment, uh, a memorial rant. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. friend and former uh, colleague from the uh, trade association Jeff Moran passed away this past week at the age of 70 and the uh, I worked with Jeff for three years and Jeff was one of those guys that boy you could you could rely on him you could depend on him and he broke into the industry coming out of retail and working for Lane Limited in the uh, Midwest primarily out of Chicago for uh, 20 something years but Jeff was old school, and this is my message to all of you sales reps or salespeople that are out there. Jeff was one of those guys that when he walked into your store, he knew you, he respected you, he never, uh, never over-promised you, he gave it to you, gave you whatever the line was, he gave it to you straight, and he became a friend and uh yeah, a friend and an ally to every one of his retailers that he sold to. And that's one of the reasons why he had a 40, almost a 40 year run in the premium tobacco industry. Uh, Jeff was one of the last of those old school sales reps that worked with uh, paper and pencil and worked off of samples out of his car and carried a huge amount of product with him. But if you wanted to see something, you wanted to order something, he had something to show you. And those days will be missed. Jeff will be missed. Uh, you might have regularly seen him at the Chicago Pipe Show. He was an avid photography buff, and he would always be there taking pictures and smoking his pipe and uh, hanging out. Uh, but, Jeff, you will be missed. And, uh, you know, yeah, times are changing, and I wish those uh, old-school sales guys were still around. But... Anyway, uh, that's the show for this week. Uh, thank you very much to Mike Zika for helping me with the questions. Thank you to Rich for joining me. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together?
just sing a song and think about sunny weather. It is the closest that the Irish will ever get to Christmas.